Did you know that Radio Vermont Group Digital Services can create videos including drone footage? We've even won awards for our videos. If you'd like to learn more and see examples of our work, go to rvgdigital.com. Radio Vermont Group, we're more than just radio. We are back, and we're going to go to talk to our D.C. expert, Bob Ney, about all things Washington. Bob, happy Thanksgiving. Welcome to the show. Yes, happy Thanksgiving to you. Uh, before the break, I, uh, I, I can't believe I did it. I'm already getting angry texts from listeners. I read the 2 a.m. Thanksgiving tweet by uh, former President right. Donald J. Trump. Uh, I wonder if you just might react to that uh, tweet, if you would. Right. I compared the tweets this morning myself at about 5 a.m. when I was putting the news together. And, of course, if you look at the tweets, you've got President Biden saying uh, Americans should come together, focus on dealing with our problems, and, you know, stop the rancor. And then you have uh, Happy Thanksgiving to all, which the former president did do, and then included you know, his enemies, the racist and incompetent attorney general, uh, you know, and uh, on and on. Um, now, he did, on a bipartisan basis, throw rhinos in there, Republicans in name only. So they got hit, too, you know. But obviously it was um, – I, mean, I was a bit surprised that, you know, it's Thanksgiving, so, you know, okay, I'm you know, thankful for all of you and call it a day, but I guess it was a headline grab, you know what he did sure sure headline grab i i i guess as we get uh as we you know during the holiday season when you spend some time kind of thinking about your life and thinking about where you are in the world and i i gotta wonder whether the guy is happy at any level uh you know mm-hmm. it, i just you know he's there's there's something going on deep down in there that's deeply troubling and uh i don't know i hope he gets through it we- well, I mean, I think you're right, because like I said, when I put these two side by side in the news notes, I put them both out. And when I read it this morning, I thought, you know, there are certain times when you, um, you do things, you know, uh, for example, the late Senator John McCain and I were not friends. He went after me. I went after him. We, we, we weren't friends at all. And but oh, was that right? Passed, I didn't know that. Yes. Oh, yeah. He he singled me out in a hearing. And it's a long story, which I'll talk to you about someday. But he he sent investigators over to my office and they said, oh, don't worry. The senator's gotten has no problem with you. And then kaboom, he just <laughs> nailed me in a hearing. But I also killed one of his bills. So but when Senator McCain passed and I, and I, I was not, you know, complimentary in my book about him, I wrote a chapter called The Good Senator, and it's not complimentary at all. But when he passed, is a time to say, you know, okay, uh, either say nothing or, you know, your sorrow for somebody passing. So I just bring it up as an example. And I think with former President Trump, um, you know, it's America. We know there's a lot of strife and difference of opinion. It would just been it would have been a good time to just say Happy Thanksgiving. Uh, we're thankful we have a, you know, a country that uh, you know you can say uh, your your opinion or something like that. I was surprised he uh, he went into all that, to be honest with you. I know it's Trump style, but it's be like a Christmas message, you know? There are certain days when everything has to go 
aside, I think, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's right. <clears throat> yeah. Bob, there is a, a ceasefire in the war between Israel and Hamas, and there is a swap of hostages for prisoners. Um, boy, I, 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 I sure hope this holds. Can you take us through it and what you know and what we should know? Right. It, now, it kicked off a little bit of a troublesome spot, but it, it wasn't mentioned by the media. But there were some uh, actions that Israel had to take against Hezbollah, who are based in Lebanon. Uh, but some people thought that would maybe ruin this deal, but it, it didn't. There's been a lot of negotiations behind the scenes on this. And, um, and the White House is kind of, you know, don't get me wrong, the White House was involved, but the White House has kind of really built this up. The bottom line is Netanyahu, the prime minister of Israel, really got a ton of pressure within Israel, anger at the fact that, you know, there was bombings and incursions through Gaza, but what about the hostages? So the ceasefire kicked off at 7 a.m. local time in Israel. It'll last four days, and they're trading basically, uh, originally it'll start, it's supposed to, Hamas is going to free 50 of about 240 hostages, and then Israel will, will free 150 Palestinian prisoners, and there are 300 prisoners eligible for release. Now, those 300, even though I heard a report of one official saying these are terrorists, et cetera, et cetera, you know, on a British you know, TV show today, but the 300 prisoners for eligible for release are mainly teenagers who were detained for rock throwing and other minor offenses. So these aren't the top terrorists that are being released, and they're going to do 150 for the 50, and they're going to you know then have the ceasefire. Then they're going to redo a certain amount of hostages. Obviously, Israel's trying to get them all back, and uh, and again. Somebody said, well, why are there 150 Palestinians for 50? Well, again, a lot of these are juveniles, rock throwers that were detained. Okay. Uh, yeah, I wonder if you could talk more about that. It, it, why Talk about the math, 150 for 50. Uh, wh- why does Israel agree to, to that mathematics? Well, they have, you know, the, the Hamas has 240 of the hostages, which are mainly Israeli citizens, but also some Americans and other foreign nationalities, as, as we're told. And then um, the, you know, the Palestinian prisoners, again, Hamas, I think, through the Qataris uh, in Doha, Qatar, argued that a lot of these were juveniles, so, you know, they wanted more release. So I, I think that there's nothing kind of nefarious behind it. Because Israel was attacked in a Sky News report, and I watched it. The, the, the Israeli was stunned. The reporter said, well, you're releasing 150. It's questionable. You think that Palestinians' life are worth less than Israeli, so you think it takes basically three Palestinians to equal one Israeli. And that's just going way off track. That's not why Israel's doing this. Has not, you know, they, they have X amount of prisoners— and they have more prisoners than Hamas has hostages, so they've agreed to this. If they would have done one-on-one, 50-on-50, Hamas probably would not have agreed to it. And after all, Israel's not, like I said, at this point in time, they might have to, but at this point in time, they're not releasing, Kevin, like, you know, the top people. They're releasing a lot of juveniles. 
Yeah. Uh, Bob, and lastly, who would have thought that Vermont's member of Congress, uh, Becca Ballant in the House, uh, who's Jewish, and Bernie Sanders, the senator from Vermont, also Jewish, would be front and center in in this debate uh, with Ballant, uh, who lost grandparents in the Holocaust, uh, changing her position from humanitarian uh, pause to all-out ceasefire, and Bernie Sanders uh, uh, placing an op-ed piece in the New York Times recently and advocating a conditioning of support for money for Israel on various conditions that Israel needs to meet in, in terms of this war. I, there's an irony there. I, 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 think, I think it's healthy that uh, Vermont has such uh, a, a high sort of a, 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 what's the, a high profile in this debate. And, and I, I, you know, it's, it's fascinating to watch what Bernie and Becca Ballant are doing. I wonder if you could comment on that. Well, yes, this this is a big deal because uh, Becca Ballant lost uh, her grandfather, you know, in in the Holocaust, and I think some other family members, and and she's also Jewish, and she's also the first Jewish member of Congress to go, you know, all the way with calling for a ceasefire in Gaza. So she's getting some heat, no question about it, from APAC and some of the Jewish, you know, uh, uh, lobby groups. Um, I, I don't believe that your congresswoman did this by any stretch of the imagination to make any progressives happy. Uh, I, I don't believe that. Uh, she's you know, one generation removed from the Holocaust. Uh, obviously, it's very traumatic uh, for her family and, and her. But the fact that she has made this statement it is a big deal. And then, of course, Bernie Sanders, who's you know, the most prominent member of the Senate, uh, I think, either side of the aisle. Bernie Sanders didn't go for the ceasefire, but he's been extremely fair. And I watched his video the other day where he started out, I'm Jewish. Now, in situations like this, everybody can have an opinion whether you're Jewish or not. But let's face a fact, the fact that she's uh, Jewish and the fact that he's Jewish allows them uh, more flexibility. Nobody can really say you're, you're anti-Semitic to either one of them, Right. And so it garners a lot of attention, especially when both of them come from the same state. Uh, no question about it. It has uh, it's put a lot of pressure, in fact, on on the White House itself, just because of the two members. Oh, that's just fascinating. Well, Bob, we're going to follow this story uh, because it's just endlessly interesting. And uh, yes. let's hope this ceasefire holds. And I thank you for joining us and a happy Thanksgiving and a happy holiday to you. You too. I appreciate all of you. Thank you. We are back. And guess who we've got with us? My friend, Marianne Lichtig from Seven Days. She's here to talk about uh, a story that she wrote recently in Seven Days, but we've got some other questions for her before we get into it. Mary Ann, welcome to the show. Oh. Hi, Kevin. Good morning. Okay, before we get to the your story, uh, let's, full disclosure, remind the audience that you and I, uh, oh, I don't know, worked for a few years, uh, I don't know, next to each other at the Burlington Free Press right. in that newsroom. I can't exactly remember but uh, it's worth disclosing because. Yes. Oh, exactly. We're former colleagues. Uh, the 
the Burlington Free Press was my first job out of college. I started in features working under Steve Meese and then moved over to news. Uh, right. And, that's and, when, and I think you yeah. had a desk. I think you had a desk right next to the infamous Mike Donahue. I did. You have a very good memory. <laughs> yes. So I have some pretty good teachers. <laughs> well, I, I sat right next. I sat right next to the also infamous Lisa Scalotti of the Waterbury Roundabout. So uh, it yeah. was a murderer's row at the Burlington Free Press. But I want to ask you, uh, first of all, how was your Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving was really great. Quiet. Um, I grew up in the Midwest, as did my husband, although we met out here. But we have no family east of the Mississippi except for our own family. So three of our four kids were back. Um, for Thanksgiving. So it was nice. And my husband took the lead on cooking, so it was extra nice for me. How about you? Okay. Uh, I'm actually on the road in Washington, D.C. Three of our four children are with us and at my mother-in-law's in in Washington, and she's 90, and we... uh, I'm doing the show from her attic, which is always fun. And we had a a great meal, uh, including my cider glazed Brussels sprouts, which was a big hit. So we had a great day. Oh, sounds wonderful. Yeah, it's such a nice time of year. And I love this end of the holiday season. I love the Thanksgiving end of it. It's all good, but this is especially heartwarming. So, Marianne, tell us about Ashley Farland. Ashley Farland is just got tons of energy. Uh, This woman who I just met for this story, she has a brand new company in Hinesburg uh, and a a brand new store as of last Saturday. It's called Dandelion. She's a former professional chef. She worked for 15 years in New York City, first at the high-end restaurants like Le Cirque and Gramercy Tavern. And then she became a private chef Um, including for people like Brad and Angelina and members of the Tisch family and the Revlon uh, billionaire Ron Perlman and his wife. But once COVID hit, uh, she was asked to move to New York City full time. Her employers had been flying her back and forth. She's a Vermont native. She decided she was finished with that chapter of her life and she wanted to explore another love, which is textiles. So she moved back to Vermont full-time. She is creating these luxury throw pillows, also some blankets, out of fabric that's extra fabric from the high-end fashion industry. That In the industry, they call it dead stock. It's the fabric where they've, they've ordered too much, or some of these companies will retire the fabric after one season because they want to have something new and fresh for the next season. So all of this extra will sit in warehouses, and it ultimately will get burned or buried in a landfill. And so she is buying this fabric and turning it into beautiful home furnishings. So she's saving it from, um, yeah, the the burn pile or the landfills. It's fascinating. I've learned a lot about textile manufacturing um, through this story and through because of Ashley and her role in it. Um, textile production uses so much water. If you look online, you'll see at least 700 gallons of water are needed to make a single white cotton T-shirt. And then on top of that, the textile production uh, pollutes water. 
something else I didn't realize. And so um, it, this fabric that's already been created can be used as opposed to making new. It's, it's a huge win for the environment. Plus, you're not polluting the environment, destroying the stuff that's already been created. So she's got quite, well, a, quite an idea here. Marianne, I was fascinated, uh, buried down deep in the story is, a, is a, mm-hmm. a little personal anecdote about how she lives. She's 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 kind of couch surfing at a friend's house and does some other odd jobs to to pay bills so that she can um, so that she can pursue her passion. And this is a woman who was a chef to celebrities uh, in New York who would be flown back and forth between New York. I mean, she was living one mm-hmm. style mm-hmm. of life and she comments about how that life really didn't, wasn't real for her and that you really had to devote yourself to those families, whether it's the Pearl mm-hmm. or wherever. And now she's, as she says, I've literally, I, I have stripped down my life, but it's worth it. Can you talk about that? Right. That is fascinating, isn't it? She talked about, you know, she said, you definitely, you're well paid. She said, I liked the people I worked for, but she said they own you and gave examples of things like, you know, they would say, we're going to go to some island home and you'd be ready to fly off. And she would be ordering the food in because she's going to be cooking for the family at this island. And then they'd change their mind at the last minute and end up someplace else. Um, So she talked about how it was you know, really a, a crazy lifestyle. And so she did it for a while, but she was ready to, to do something else. And she had a home in Stowe, and she said it wasn't lavish, but she said it was very well appointed. I mean, she, think of it. She was she saw really beautiful furnishings in the homes that she worked in, and she sold a lot of her furnishings. She sold her house. Um, she sold her car and got what she calls a workhorse uh, Subaru, I think it is. And she said, I don't miss any of that at all. She plowed all of that into this business and she has self-funded her business. She was is close to signing papers with an investor. She did say that, but she wanted to get this up and going on her own before she took that next step. So yes, yeah, she's living. She said she's living with friends in Starksboro and in exchange for rent, she cooks for them. So, you know, great deal. It's a win-win for both of them, right? And she, she's hardly ever there, she said, so because she's, she's sewing and working, and she's in her, her space in Hinesburg um, much of the time. So, yeah, it's quite a, quite a story. She just released all attachments she had to the things of her prior life, um, wants to get this up and going, and has plowed all profits back into the business. And then she's working as a caretaker for a woman a couple of nights a week. And she loves this woman. She has this great relationship, but she's using that income for her own personal expenses. So she continues, so she can continue to take her profits from Dandelion and put them back into Dandelion. Well, yeah, lots and, of energy and, and excitement she, there and devotion. And she's opened a, a retail store in, in Hinesburg. Can you tell us about that? That's right. That's right. She's in a spot. People, some of your listeners will know Mon Pembum, the leather makers in Heinsberg on Kaylee's Way. She has their space. They have um, given up their retail space. So she has moved in there and she's doing some sewing there as well. Um, and it's uh, 30 Kaylee's Way is the, the spot. Just opened last Saturday. 
Uh, and she has a couple of other people who sew for her out of their homes. Primarily, I think they're sewing out of their own homes. So that's how it, it gets put together. She's got a woodworking line as well. She's working with Jeremy Rablin. People will know that name from Treehouse Hardwoods in South Burlington. And they're coming up with carving boards, a sausage slicer, which is something she says is common in much more common in Europe, um, rolling pins. So she has a few culinary tools also, which is, you know, I would certainly trust her opinion on tools for the kitchen because she she did that professionally for 15 years. Oh, she's. I see on her website she's got something by the Field Company, which is a cast iron skillet that looks phenomenal. <laughs> right. She she is featuring other um, other products, not just the ones she's creating. She's finding things. She's looking for things that are made by artisans, things that are built to last. That's a big part of her own company and a bar a part of the companies that she wants to feature in her store. So yes, she has. Um, other home goods and office goods in her store, in addition to the textiles and the wood products that she's making. Would you uh, classify this as sort of uh, high-priced premium, or is it is it recycled stuff that means that the that the price uh, is is lower? I, I see in the story that she talks a lot about how we have to rewire our expectations for what has value and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. Well, the price the prices are not low. I mean, by a lot of people's standards, um, these are going to be high prices, and she recognizes that. Um, her pillows start at two hundred fifty dollars. They're um, I would say I think I don't think I saw anything that's smaller than a twenty inch square. They're filled with down and feathers, um, so it's it's just high quality outside and inside. Now that set the two hundred fifty dollar is like. Uh, the price that you'll see um, for two of her top lines, the Couture and the Lux line. She has other lines that are equally high in quality, and she's not selling those to other retailers. And so she can offer those at a discount. So she has pillows that start at $108, uh, which for the fabrics, and she said if you compare to um, these a lot of these luxury companies sell their own home furnishings. A pillow can go for seven hundred or eight hundred dollars, so it's less, but it's still not as cheap as like Home Goods or TJ Maxx. But when she talks about rewiring us, a lot of us have an attitude um, of that. I can buy that pillow at TJ Maxx. It may not be made well, um, or it may not be made responsibly even, but it's good enough for now. And she said, we've got to stop thinking about good enough for now because we're, we're hurting our planet doing that. We, you know, if we throw something away after a couple of years or if people aren't careful with the way they manufacture uh, textiles and other goods, then ultimately we're hurting ourselves. So her whole... Um, philosophy, if I can speak for her, <laughs> is um, to, to build well and responsibly and build to last. Don't be a throwaway society. Okay. Well, I'll tell you one thing we're going to do is I'm going to email her right now and ask her to come on the show thanks to you. So Marianne Lichtai. Oh, she'll seven love it. Days. Yeah, Marianne, thank you for joining us and I look forward to seeing you soon. Say hi to everyone at Seven Days. Same to you. All the best. Always great talking with you, Kevin.
And we are back. And we have a special guest. We're talking films and TV for the next half hour. What should you be watching? What should you avoid? What's going on now that the strike is over? And our guest is VT Viewpoint film and TV critic Keenan Ellis. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy, happy to you. What? Uh, give us, give us a quick detail on your Thanksgiving. I hung out with my girlfriend's family, and uh, they have a two-year-old daughter, and so I, I did bad magic tricks for her for about forty-five minutes out of the evening, and she could just she would be entertained by anything. You know, you could I, would, I just gave her cards and said, "Go put that over there," and then she would go, and then she would pick it back up, and she'd bring it back to me. And that entertained her for 45 minutes. So, <laughs> you know, and then, the, okay. and then the turkey and everything else as well. It was fun. All right. Uh, as I've told the audience, uh, I'm doing the show from the from the road. We're in Washington, D.C. and staying uh, at a place right around the corner from a good old fashioned big screen movie theater called the mm. Avalon. And uh, yeah. Let's see. Let's see. The list includes the Joan yeah. Baez documentary, uh, the I mean, the documentary about the March on Washington in 1963, uh, about the organizer Bayard Rustin, uh, and also the holdovers with Paul Giamatti. And I'm going to try to go see that this afternoon. Have you seen the trailer? Seen Do you it. have any comment? I've seen it. It's. It, uh, it's a fantastic movie. It's one of those movies that they don't make it like those movies anymore. It's very small scale. It's, you know, there's no aliens coming down. There's no world in danger. There's no superheroes or anything. It's just a misanthropic professor played by one of our great actors, uh, Paul Giamatti, um, is forced to... Uh, stay over uh, at school for the Christmas holidays and look after the kids who don't go home for the Christmas holidays. And so everyone's kind of depressed and alone because everyone, everyone they know is doing something more fun. And it's about him and this bond he makes with this senior boy um, as kind of two lost souls in a world that doesn't want them at all. And it's, that doesn't sound very funny, but it's very funny. It's very charming. It has a lot of heart and it is one of those holiday movies that you'll go and you'll, it'll, it'll warm you up. You know, it's like a good, it's like a good mug of cocoa. Um, I couldn't, I couldn't recommend it enough really. And and like any of the great old movie theaters, the Avalon is showing this this uh, this movie at at eleven, one thirty, four thirty, and seven thirty. It just plays all day. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. If only we had that more. You know, movie theaters just playing interesting movies all day, and we all just went and go see them all day, every day. It'd be amazing. <laughs> Okay. Uh, do you have a list for us of, of film and TV to watch over the next uh, holiday season? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, for for Thanksgiving now, um, I've got two movies that are still 
up and up and around. Um, the first one is on Netflix. It just came out on Netflix. It's for the more bloodthirsty people uh, listening to the show. It's called The Killer by uh, David Fincher, who is one of our great directors. Right. <laughs> um, David Fincher, for those who don't know, is the director of uh, serial killer movies like Seven and um, The Zodiac. And, uh, and he's probably... His best movie is probably The Social Network, where he and Aaron Sorkin take on Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook. And that, that movie becomes more terrifying with every passing year. Um, but he is very uh, meticulous director who is known for uh, uh, shooting about 100 takes of every shot. And so everything is just right. And this movie is about a contract killer who has a very meticulous nature, who's a perfectionist, and a hit goes awry, and he has to deal with the fallout from that. And um, it's it's on Netflix. It's absolutely fantastic, and it's some of the best filmmaking you'll, you're likely to see. Um, so that's that's a that's a more bloodthirsty suggestion. The other suggestion is. Um, Priscilla, uh, which is directed by Sofia Coppola, um, who is one of our great directors. You probably know her from the movie Lost in Translation with Bill Murray, um, which is a, like one of an immediately canonized movie from either the late 90s or the early 2000s um, about loneliness and just being lost in a country that where no one speaks your language and uh and she but she's been quietly turning out just spectacular movies for the past 20 years um she's the daughter of the great uh film director francis ford coppola who directed the godfather if you've ever heard of that film um and priscilla is a movie about the marriage between Elvis Presley and his wife Priscilla, but told from the perspective of Priscilla Presley, of, of the wife. And Priscilla Presley is a producer on it, but she gave Sofia Coppola free reign to tell whatever story she wanted. And it's a really beautiful movie about really, I mean, a lot of these movies are about loneliness, really. Um, but it's, it's a it's a movie about a woman who feels lonely in the most packed rooms imaginable, um, and it's a it's a beautiful movie, and I highly suggest it. Okay, and then uh, one that I have on my list, of course, is uh, Maestro about uh, Leonard Bernstein, and that's the the latest. Uh, what do you call it? The latest monumental effort from the great Bradley Cooper. I can't wait to see that one. Have, have you? It's not out yet, right? I haven't seen it yet. I'm, I mean, I it can't is, wait. It's not. It's it's not out, but I've seen the trailer and I've watched him. I've watched Cooper come on uh, oh various interview shows with Bernstein's children. Uh, quick yes. personal quick personal story. I once. I was once in Bernstein's uh, apartment 
which was in the famous uh, apartment building in New York called the Dakota, where John Lennon uh, lived. And uh, he lived there, and I was dating a young lady in college who was friends with one of the Bernstein children. So we, I found myself wow. at a party in, in the Dakota, completely uh, talk about alone and, and uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, that was me, <laughs> uh, a Jersey boy in, in the Dakota. But uh, it was so. And then later on that night, we saw Bernstein himself in that in that unique way of his the scarf around the neck and the breeze blowing and the hair flowing and uh yeah i just can't wait to see uh that film yeah me neither i i think bradley cooper makes a great movie i think the star a star is born was a really well-made movie and this one looks incredible as well um and he's and he's gotten uh as bernstein's wife uh carrie mulligan who is just She's just amazing. She's an, she's a, she's a truly great actress, um, and there's there's there was a bit of controversy with him lately because uh, um, Cooper uh, wears a fake nose in the movie, and it's a it's a very big nose, and the internet got a little angry at him for wearing what they called uh, Jew face, and right. uh, his. Children, Bernstein's children came out in defense of Cooper saying they love it. And the one thing most people know about their father is that he had a tremendous schnoz. And <laughs> and yeah. I just thought that was I thought that was very funny. Yeah, I, I that's a great example of where uh, not to take us into delicate territory, but where we seem to have lost our way in our public discussions. I mean, you know, uh, Leonard Bernstein was Jewish. He had a big nose, whatever. Uh, and if you're going to sure. play him, if you're going to play him accurately, uh, you know, it, you just got to play him accurately. And uh, nobody does that with more sensitivity, I think, and uh, than, than Bradley Cooper. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I, I agree with you, but I also agree. I mean, I know you're a huge proponent of free speech and the discourse. And so it's important for the people who find it offensive to voice their opinions. And it's important for the children of Leonard Bernstein to, you know, to voice their opinions. And then we can have a discussion. We all we, you know, fall on whichever side we fall on. But uh, I, I I agree. I agree. I think it's I think you got to do it. I think he's an actor and um, he, no offense was meant. So no offense should be taken. Um, but, you know, I think the, the discussion is also important. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. Okay. Keenan, we've got, uh, we've got recommendations coming in from various uh, uh, fans of yours. Uh, I've got one here called the blue eyed samurai uh, S samurai, which, which I know nothing about. Uh, please comment. <laughs> It's called Blue Eye Samurai. It's a uh, American animated uh, television show on Netflix um, that is about a woman who's uh, who is is on a revenge uh, a revenge quest, and it's a gorgeously animated uh, action uh, TV show. And if you like animation out there, if you like anime, it's it's a lot of fun. 
it's a lot of fun. It's really gory. The fight choreography is fantastic, and it's just gorgeous. Um, and you know, I'm I'm always a sucker for sword fights in the snow in Japan. It's just a it's a beautiful setting to kill somebody. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, now uh, if you're sitting around on the couch. Uh, I was I, I spent a few days by myself recently and I got hooked by New Amsterdam, which is a classic doctor hospital show on Netflix. And I got to say, I absolutely am hooked and love it. And uh, I don't know, think Grey's Anatomy, but just a little a little more modern. Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. How many seasons? Oh, it just goes on and on. Total binge. I'm in season three, and it just keeps it just it just never ends. And each show, you know, he takes on climate change. You know, the the medical director takes on climate change, and then he takes on you know medical waste, and then he takes on racism, and he tries to rename the hospital because the hospital was you know built on land of the native people and. Uh, you know, he has to, he runs into his board of directors and the board chair, who, you know, threaten to fire him all the time. And yeah, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty cheap network TV, but uh, it's a lot of fun. Hey man, that's what t- a lot of TV is there just to hang out with characters that you like at the end of a long day and just relax. And I think, I think we've forgotten that a little bit. I'm, uh, I'm showing my girlfriend Deadwood right now, um, and I'm watching it for the third time. It's Deadwood is a old West TV show on HBO, and it might be my favorite show I've, I've ever seen. And it's it's really about how civilization comes to the old West, but really it's just about a bunch of characters that I like hanging out with. That you know, I they're my friends. You know, you're just you turn on the TV, you relax, and you and you hang out with your friends. And I think that's what, you know, watching sitcoms are like. Friends is probably the platonic ideal of this idea. And But, like, these TV shows are designed for you to hang out with their characters. And I so I think, okay. like, what? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, I totally agree with you. I I like hanging out with the, with the characters in new Amsterdam, you know, not just the guy, but the, um, but the, uh, Oh gosh, the, the Iranian born London raised, uh, you know, oncologist, uh, a a woman. (laughs) She's great. Yeah. She's your friend, you know, (laughs) like, you know, it's yeah, you know you you were alone for three days because you know the wife is traveling and you're you just you're like man I'm you know I need to go hang out with my friends and that's what that's yeah. what TV can do for you and it's a it's a beautiful thing um, and there's okay. never been uh, more TV ever than what we have now so okay uh, give us give us a quick uh, description uh, and opinion on Napoleon and Killers of the Flower Moon. So, Napoleon, they're both two uh, very long, epic movies made by two of our great directors, 
Killers of the Flower Moon is directed by Martin Scorsese, who is widely considered to be the great American director. And it's based off of the book of the same name, um, which centers around uh, a a horrific event in, a, in, in American history where uh, white oil uh, tycoons are stealing land from Native Americans. And it, if that sounds like a bit of a bummer, it is. Uh, <laughs> just, you know, no way around it. But it is an expertly made film about a absolutely vital time in American history that you, we should know. And it's, uh, it's also three and a half hours long. So it's going to come to Apple TV in the next month. And so if you want to have a bit more leisurely watch of it, I would, I would wait until then. But if you, if you want to go and see a movie, capital M movie, or as Martin Scorsese, Scorsese calls them, pictures, uh, I'd go see Kills the Flower Moon. Um, the other movie is called Napoleon which is made by Ridley Scott, who is the director of such movies as Gladiator and Blade Runner and Selma and Louise and Alien. And uh, he's a fantastic director, um, but he is known to miss from time to time. I haven't seen Napoleon yet, but um, I'm a little worried that it's one of his big misses. Uh, Though there is a very funny... It's about Napoleon, you know. It's... (laughs) I can't. I can't really pitch it beyond that. But it's it's a movie about Napoleon, perhaps the most famous man in history. Um, but there's a funny line: the French have taken issue with the film for historical inaccuracies. And um, Ridley of course Scott, they have. Is, right? Yeah, Ridley Scott, who is English and a cranky old man, uh, he has a he has a just a in, he has a wonderful quote where he says the French don't even like themselves and brushes them off you know (laughs) and which only made the French more angry Um, and yeah so it's I I haven't seen the film it's it's very long it's got Joaquin Phoenix who's just a fantastic director uh, actor I mean and um and he plays fast and loose with the history. So if you're a history buff, it might not be for you. But Ridley Scott is always looking for ways to entertain you. So I'm sure it'll be entertaining no matter what. Okay. All right. That's it. We've got to go. Uh, I, uh, don't forget to everybody watch my favorite holiday movie, The Family Stone. Uh, it'll turn your uh, life upside down and make your day uh, brighter. Thanks always to Keenan Ellis. I really appreciate you coming on the show and happy movie and TV watching. Will do. (laughs) Take care. Uh, That is our show for today. My thanks to our guests, Rusty Dewees, Marianne Lichtig, Bob Nay, and Keenan Ellis. I'm always looking for guests who will provoke us, inform us, challenge us. So please send me your suggestions. You can hit me up on Twitter or vtviewpoint at radiovermont.com. Our goal is to illuminate and inform and have some fun along the way. Remember, you can always stream the show live or listen later as a podcast at wdevradio.com anytime, anywhere. We talk politics, media, and culture, and everything else on my mind and yours. Remember, I'm here Wednesdays and Fridays, 
You can find me at KevinKLS.com where you can subscribe to my weekly newsletter called Conflict of Interest and my podcast of the same name. Check out this week's uh, episode about the country of Wales. We've got another one that's being edited right now. And if you're sending messages to the family of Ken Squire, keep them coming to the studio at DEV and we'll deliver them. Our show's produced by me, engineered and made possible by Danny McGivrigan, Lee Cattell, Greg Titus, and all the folks WDEV. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Kevin Ellis, and we'll see you right back here Wednesday on Vermont Viewpoint Live Radio on Ken Squire's own friendly pioneer, WDEV. <laughs>